Welcome back to the Gospel Baptist Church podcast, where we focus on the Bible and God's plan for our lives. Though this day in history is filled with pain and confusion, the Bible offers the hope and instruction we all need. So let's dive into today's message and hear how God's Word has the answers for today. Second uh, Timothy chapter two, verses one through eight. Paul here is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a, a young pastor, and so as an older pastor to a younger pastor, he's writing this this book, this letter, trying to encourage him, trying to strengthen him, trying to prepare him uh, as a pastor and as a, a leader in the church to um, to be prepared. And uh, in verse number one, he says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, and we may lead a quiet, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so here we're going to look at the subject here of why should Christians pray? Why should Christians pray? It's a big it's a big subject. There's too many too many reasons, so to speak, uh, to fit into one sermon. So I've actually broken up over two the next two weeks. We're going to look at why should Christians pray for this week, and also we'll finish it next week. Um, as a church, we've been focusing on prayer this month. What we have learned so far really has only scratched the surface of how much that can be learned about prayer. I'm not an expert on the, on the, the situation. I have studied, I have tried to uh, live my life as what I have read and studied and I've tried to, to apply in my own life the things that I've learned about prayer. I've been saved now for over 20 years and I've seen, I've, I've seen uh, the blessings of prayer, how it can help. I've experienced them. Uh, for some, maybe this last two weeks, it's been a strengthen for your prayer life. It's been an encouragement. I've been praying that, that it has been a help. Maybe for some in here that it's been a help to start a prayer life. Oftentimes prayer is a part of the Christian life that is easily overlooked, easily neglected because our lives are so busy and, and sometimes we don't realize just how important that it is for the Christian life. See, our prayer life should be something that we are never satisfied with. We should always strive to be better at prayer. And if you've been having a hard time making time for prayer the last couple weeks, don't stop trying. Don't stop trying. Make time if you can. Try to, to even if it's just a little bit of a time, it's better than nothing. A little bit of time in prayer is better than than not praying at all. Don't stop trying. Don't get discouraged. Uh, I've read before that prayer is a Christian's vital breath. What does that mean? What does it mean about 
prayer being a Christian's vital breath. While the saying was coined by a Scottish Moravian hymn writer named James Montgomery between 1771 and 1854, for a hymn called Prayer is the Soul's Sincere Desire. So what it means is that just as important breathing is to your physical life and your physical body, prayer is just as important for our spiritual life and for our soul. Just like we need air, we need to breathe for our physical body to keep going and to keep strong, the same goes for prayer for our soul. That's what it means by prayer is a Christian's vital breath. It's needed. It's necessary. See, if prayer demonstrates true spiritual life, it is also vital to the continuation of evident spiritual life. You know, if someone stops breathing, they quickly grow weak and they soon after die. If they do not breathe well because of disease or illness, they are likely to remain severely weakened through lack of of oxygen. In the same way, a believer who does not pray, or someone who prays weakly, meaning very rarely or very seldomly, is likely to be deprived of the grace needed for strong spiritual life and for growth. You know, we've got an opportunity the last two years to see just how important breathing is for the physical body as we've endured COVID, because that was one of the dangerous parts of COVID, wasn't it? Is that it became pneumonia. And that's oftentimes why people died, was because the pneumonia filled their lungs and they end up suffocating because they could not breathe. And as dangerous as that is for our physical body, not praying is just as dangerous for our spiritual life. Just as dangerous because we die spiritually in a sense. There's no life in us. We're weak. We're sickly. And we don't see anything happen in our life. We don't see God doing anything in our life. It seems like our prayers never get answered because we are so weak in our spiritual life, in our prayer life. Oswald Chambers said this He says, Prayer is the vital breath of the Christian, not the thing that makes him alive but the evidence that he is alive. So prayer is an evidence that that you're alive. As a Christian, that you're you're striving to walk with God, that you're trying to live your life for the Lord. Prayer is, is that evidence. See, a Christian ought to pray because they want to, not because they have to. God doesn't force you to talk to him. He doesn't say, okay, at 10 o'clock in the morning, you need to you bow on your knees and you need to pray. Nowhere in Scripture do you see that. He doesn't force you to pray to Him. He doesn't force you to take that time. It is a choice that we make whether or not we want to talk to God. Whether or not we want anything to do with God. But a Christian ought to pray because they want to, not because they have to. So this morning, for part one of this message, we're going to look at three different benefits of prayer and why Christians should pray without ceasing, as we read here in our scripture. 
Uh, the first one, the reason why I wanted the song um, Burdens Are Lifted at, at Calvary is because that's exactly what prayer does. Prayer removes our burdens. See, when you and I pray, we can share every single thing that's on our heart with God. He already knows what burdens you carry. He's not surprised by the situations that we go through and the things that happen in our life. He's not surprised by it. He knows what we're going through. He knows what's on your heart. He knows the burdens that you carry. He wants you to cast all of your cares, all of your worries, and all of your fears upon Him. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. He knows what you're going through. He knows your cares, the, meaning that your concerns, the things that you're going through, the, uh, the hardships, the, the stress, the, um, the heartache. He knows every single bit about it. He knows all of your worries, the things that you're, we're fretting about in the future, what's going to happen. He knows all about those things on our heart. He wants you to, to give them to Him. He knows your fears. What if? What, what if this happens? What if that happens? He knows those fears and he wants you to take and take those things and he wants you to cast them to him. What does it mean by casting? It's like, it's like taking something, for example, my jacket, if I can get it off. To cast something is to take it and to throw it away, to cast it. So what he's saying is, give me, take all your burdens, all your cares, all your fears, all your worries, all your heartache, everything that you're going through right now that is burdening you, that is loading you down, take all that stuff and give it to me. Cast it to me. Throw it away from you. Don't have anything remaining upon yourself. Give it to me because I care for you. I take care of you. But here's the problem that most Christians do. We do that sometimes, don't we? We go to God and we give Him, we give Him everything and say, okay, oh, I feel so relieved now. Those burdens are a little bit more lighter to carry. Don't feel as, as overwhelmed. But this is what we do. As soon as we say amen, we go back over, pick them up again, we put them back on. And then we start carrying them again. And pretty soon they're just as heavy and we're just as burdened. And there's no peace. There's no joy. There's nothing. And when we feel like, God, what's going on? He wants us to cast them completely and to leave them at his feet. Not to go and pick them back up. That's where we get wrong sometimes. We don't give him the situations completely. We don't give them our fears completely. And so we keep living in them. We keep worrying about them. And the devil, he keeps putting them back in our heart. That's why we have to give it to him. You see, Jesus wants you to take his yoke. He wants to take the yoke of the burdens of this world and this life from us. And instead, he wants to give you his yoke. Let him be the one who carries the burdens. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Isn't that what some of us in here, we've been desire? Oh, I just would love to have some rest. Just to be able to, to turn my mind off sometimes and just have peace, to have rest. He said, look, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when we take his yoke, a yoke of oxen was something that tied two oxen together or tied two animals, two beasts of burden together. And, what, and, and as they're, they're pulling whatever weight it is, whatever burden it is that they're carrying, as they're going, as they're, as they're walking, and as they're, they're pulling that thing, if one gets a little bit weak, one can't do it anymore, the other one steps in and starts to pull the load a little bit harder. So what he's saying here is, let me take the burden. Let me take the heartache. Let me take the time that you are, are going through a time of weakness. Let me give you rest and I'll, keep, and, I'll, and I'll take care of the situation. I'll take care of this burden. That's what we're supposed to be. But instead, you know, we're in the yoke with, with God and we're the ones that are trying to, to, to pull the burden ourselves. And, and, and God's like, hey, hey, I'm here. Let, let me do this. This is why I'm here. Let me, let me take that from you. And we say, no, I want to do it myself. I can handle this. And he says, no. And he knows that we can't handle it. And that's why he wants us to let him take the lead. You know, throughout our life, it's easy to become burdened. It's very easy to become burdened just with the stresses of life. Sometimes with our families. Sometimes even just living in the world. Our job situations. Just life in general. And sometimes it's very difficult to manage. But instead of being full of the cares of the world and what will happen, we need to learn to entrust them and to give them to Jesus. Philippians 4 verses 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you know where Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church? Do you know where he's writing this from? Jail. Prison. Paul is in prison at this time. And here he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. From a jail cell. And they're quite different than they are today. There was no nice freedoms or three square meals a day, a little bit of exercise time. No, oftentimes in prison, it wasn't a good place. They weren't very clean, very, very dirty, very difficult place to be able to live in. And yet Paul is writing and saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All the things that he has gone through his life, the trials, the tribulations, the persecutions, uh, the, the, 
beatings that he's gone through, the, the stonings that he's gone through, the whippings that he's gone through by the same people in Philippi. He still says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How can a person who's gone through so much turmoil, so much pain, so much heartache, so much stress, so much trial in his life, look back and say, you know what? It's okay. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, be careful for nothing. Meaning, don't allow your cares to consume you. Don't allow the burdens of this world to, to so consume you where, you where you feel like you are paralyzed, where you're burdened to a point where you can't do anything. He says, be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care for no reason. But everything, and everything means everything. Everything that you're going through in your life, everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And as we pray and as we give God our cares, as we give God our burdens, as we give God our fears and, and everything that's upon our heart, it says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You want to have peace in your life? That's the answer. First, you need the Holy Spirit, and that's only by becoming a born-again Christian. When you trust God as your Savior, He forgives you of your sin, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. But one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. That's something that the Holy Spirit brings as you yield to Him. And as you cast your, your cares and your fears and, and just the, the things about life, you give it to God, He says, then I'll give you my peace. You'll enjoy my peace. Your, my peace will keep your heart and your mind. It's all because of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we don't take that great gift of prayer. Instead we choose to, to carry it ourselves. And he's saying, I just want to carry that burden. I want to give you my peace. I want you to live life rejoicing and enjoying life. Not burdened and sad and, and having heartache with life. Look, it doesn't mean the storms are not going to come. It doesn't mean the trials are not going to come and the difficulties in life are not going to be there. What he's saying is that through these trials, through these storms, through these heartaches, let him be the one that holds it. And we can go through these situations with peace, knowing that God is in control knowing that he's going to take care of the situation. That's the difference between a Christian and somebody in the world. Because somebody that's in the world and has no relationship with God, when the storms come, they have no peace. They have no peace at all. And it seems like they struggle and they're, they're trying to keep their head above the water and they're overwhelmed. And that's why a lot of times they commit suicide. Because they cannot... They cannot keep living in the stress that they're living because they don't know how to give it to God. God gives two examples in Scripture how we can give our burdens to God. The first one that I want you to look at with me, turn if you would to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 
all the way in the Old Testament. Uh, if you go to the, the half point of your Bible is the book of Psalms. And just a few more books to the left is the book of 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. And then 2, 1, 2, and 21. We're going to read those. As we read, I want you to see where Hannah and her heart was. There might be some here and say, you know what? I understand what she's going through. I understand. First Samuel chapter 1. Verses 1 through 20. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathane Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, and the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. And unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. So here you see the situation that Hannah is going through. Uh, She's married to Elkanah. Uh, He's got another wife who's got children and she cannot Give her husband children. Back in these days, not being able to give, to be able to have children was a big deal. Oftentimes women felt like they were failures if they could not bear children. And so as she's living her life, this other wife of Elkanah's is provoking her, is just being cruel. I can only imagine the things that she said. I can only imagine the attitude that she had towards Hannah. And she provoked her and provoked her every single year when they went up to the temple there to, to worship. She would provoke her. And it got to the point where it was causing Hannah to fret, to be overwhelmed, to be broken. To the point where she wept and she could not eat. There's maybe some women in here, you've been in that position. Where you fret over something so much where you just you can't eat. You're just so broken over the situation that you just can't, you have you struggle. Then said Alcana to her husband, to her, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Again, this is a typical guy. Hannah, why are you crying? Uh, why are you not eating? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Aren't, aren't, aren't I good enough? He was trying to fix the situation. But he didn't understand the, the hurt that she was going through herself. 
most men sometimes have no idea. And so he offered his thoughts. Aren't I, aren't I like, better than ten sons to you? And he was. He was, such a, he was a wonderful husband to her. He, kept, you know, he made sure she had everything that she wanted. But there was just something, that desire of her heart that she desired to have a, a child, a son. To have that fulfillment to her that she felt as a woman. To be able to have that child. He didn't understand that part of her. And verse number nine says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh. So after, after they had her meal, she didn't eat, but she rose up. She was still overly upset. And after they had, had drank, now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And look at verse number 10. This is where her heart was. And she was in bitterness of soul. And prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She was so overwhelmed with this that her heart became bitter and broken. And she, whoever she was before, she came to the point where she was not the same person. She was so bitter in her heart. Verse number 11 says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of, my, of thine handmaiden, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaiden, but will give unto thine handmaiden a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. So here, he's, she's praying, and he's sitting over here, and he's watching her. He's curious about what, what she's doing. And he's watching her. Because so, here, if you look here... Because um, now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought maybe she was drunk. So he's watching her and she's, she's just pouring out her heart unto God. I mean, she is broken. She is, she's come to a point where she's just giving everything to God. And she's praying in her heart and and, she, and her mouth is, is moving as she's praying, but she doesn't have the voice to say anything. That's how broken she is. Maybe you've been in that position where you've been so broken about a situation that so overwhelmed that you just, you just don't know what to say. You just pray. That's where she was. And Eli thought, what is going on with this woman? Is she drunk? There's something different about her. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, uh, a heathen um, idol that the children of Israel started to worship. I'm not, I'm not a, a daughter of Belial. I don't worship Belial. I only worship the Lord. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaiden find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house. To Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, 
and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. But look, after she tells Eli her what she's been doing, he has no idea what she's asked for. He just knows that there's just something that's a severely burden upon her heart. And says, you know what? The Lord's going to, he's going to answer that prayer. He's going to work in the situation. And when she realized that she could give it to God and leave it at God's, at God's hands and control, the Bible says that she left and her countenance was no more sad. She took joy in knowing, okay, God does listen to me. He does hear me. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. Now we know that's, that um, Samuel is now born. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. We see here that there, when, when she gave everything over to God, God answered and now the woman that she was in that brokenness is not the same. She is rejoicing. She is, uh, there's a change about her that she is resting upon the salvation that God has given to her. She's no longer broken. And look at verse number 21. And the Lord visited Hannah that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. God gave her five more children besides Samuel. God answered her prayer. Look at Psalm chapter 42. Not only do we see the example of Hannah, but also King David. Psalm 42. So your book, your first Samuel. Uh, go a few books to the right to the book of Psalms. And look at Psalm 42. There's so many good Psalms to read. But you know, most of these Psalms were written during times of brokenness, times of fretting, times of fear, times of pouring his heart out to God. And this is what Psalm 42 is. Psalm 42 is, is one of those times where David is so overwhelmed, so overburdened that he is casting his burden, so to speak, to the Lord. Verse number one, he says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? So he's, he's going through a situation. His, his heart is so burdened. He says that he is crying day and night. And for a man to show, especially this, during this time, that kind of emotion, during his day and time, it was something that was grieving to him. Here he said, my, my tears, God saw my tears morning and night as I was going through this. And those that are around me, the, the, those who um, were opposing him said, where's your God? Where's your God who, that, when you're going through this situation? Isn't that exactly what the, the devil does to us when we go through those situations? We become so burdened, we're 
pouring our heart out to God and, and Satan says, where's your God at now? Where is he? That's what David was experiencing. It says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God and the voice of, with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the, the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Deep calling, or calleth unto deep at the noise of the water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why, do I, why am I going through this difficulty? Why does it seem like you have forgotten me? That's, that's what he's feeling like as he's going through this situation in his life. And as with a sword, my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, where is thy God? So he's not only is he going through this burden, but the people around him that aren't followers of God, and they're saying, where's your God at? You, you, you call yourself a follower of Jehovah? You're a follower of God? Doesn't seem to be working in your life. Where's he at? Where's your God at? That's what David was experiencing. That's the, so not only was he going through a, a, a hard situation, but then he had to endure all the comments of these people and it was just adding unto the burden. But then he comes to verse number 11. It says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He looks and says, why am I down? Why am I, why am I allowing this burden to, to keep me down? Why art thou disquieted within me? Why, why is there no joy? He realized, hope Thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. So he looked at his situation, he's looked at his burden, he said, You know what? I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to let him have this. I'm not going to allow it to consume me anymore. I'm not going to allow it to, to, to weigh me down, to disquiet me in my, my, my soul. My hope is in God. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to lift him up and I'm going to praise him and I'm going to give him the honor that he deserves. And he walks away from that. He says he's the health of my countenance. There was joy and peace in his life again. It's hard sometimes when you're going through that valley. Hard sometimes when you're going through those burdens. It kind of seems like, again, you're trying to keep your head above water. And God says, look, I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm right here. I'm not left. Give it to me. But so hard it is sometimes for us to give it to God, to give it to him. But when we do, there is peace. There is joy that comes. Not only should prayer remove, it removes our burdens, but prayer should humble us. Prayer should humble us. When you stop and think about it, 
You are praying to the creator of the entire universe. He is a holy and pure being. You know, we don't deserve to be in his presence. There's nothing about me that says I'm more righteous than anybody else, that I deserve to be able to go before God. There's nothing about me at all. That's why in Psalm 95, 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before God, our maker. There's nothing about Andrew Day that, that makes me righteous enough to be able to come to, before God. If anything, I'm not worthy at all. But as we learned in Sunday school this morning, it's because of Christ and his righteousness. That's why we can go before the Lord. That's why we can go and before him. If you're a born-again Christian, you can go before God's presence because Jesus Christ enabled you by the washing of his blood that was shed upon the cross of Calvary. You know, when I think about it, that God wants me to pray to him. He wants me to pray to him. And he wants us to talk to him like we would to our own father. Now, I understand sometimes some people don't have a good relationship with their father. I didn't have the greatest relationship with my father. And so for me, that was a struggle for me after I got saved. A very big struggle. But when we approach God, we should have respect. We should have reverence, honor, and humility when we speak to him. We need to honor and praise God for who he is. We need to honor him for who he is. And when we have that right mindset, that right attitude, it humbles us. You know, as we looked at last week, if you've done something wrong and have sinned, confess it to him, repent it in your heart, and clear it out of the way of your relationship with him. It humbles us. You know, the reason why you and I find it hard to pray is because your flesh does not want to be humbled. Your flesh loves to be the king of your life. It likes to run your life. It likes to call the shots. Doing spiritual things like praying, reading your Bible, being in church. Your flesh doesn't like it. Because it's a humbling and it does not like to be humbled. When you pray, you are yielding yourself to God. Can we just be kind of put it on the, the bottom shelf here? Why sometimes we don't like going to our jobs is because we don't like being told what to do. <laughs> it's our flesh. It's our flesh, isn't it? Our flesh doesn't like being told what to do. It likes to call the shots. And so when we yield ourselves to God and we humble ourselves, our flesh hates it with a passion. It doesn't like to be humbled. So it will fight you every step of the way. But when you humble yourself, it'll really help you. It really will. Because you want to know why it doesn't like to be humbled? Because there's something in our heart called pride that causes a whole lot of trouble. And we need to have that pride 
put under control sometimes. You know, your flesh also likes to be distracted from doing anything spiritual. That's why we need to remove any distractions when you take that time to pray. And you know what? Your flesh will look for everything else to do besides pray, besides go to church, besides reading your Bible. It'll do anything, whatever possible. If we can find something else to do, it'll do it, won't it? It looks for those things, doesn't it? You know, as you're, as you're about ready to take your prayer, your prayer time, it says, oh, I forgot to clean the house. I forgot to, lo- I forgot to do the laundry. I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. I forgot to text this person. I forgot to call this person. And all of a sudden, your time is gone, isn't it? Because it loves to take and look for those distractions. Because it does not like to be underneath and yielded to God. You know, to a degree, how your body is positioned doesn't matter compared to the position of your heart. You know, a a physical position does reflect your heart. But sometimes we're limited to a physical position when we pray. Oftentimes I do a lot of my prayer time when I'm driving. So two hours up up and down (laughs) the M7, I've got lots of time to pray. (laughs) Now, not all the time I'm praying, but a lot of times that's during that time that I'm praying be kind of scary if I was closing my eyes during that time when I was praying. (laughs) Jennifer would be having white hair by now. (laughs) But in my heart, I'm praying and, and just asking God to meet people's needs, giving me wisdom. That God would bless the services, different things like that. So sometimes you don't, you can't, lay down or you can't kneel and that's okay sometimes physically you just can't do it he's more interested in your heart the position of your heart more than your physical position now we read throughout scripture that kneeling and laying prostrate on the ground are physical signs of humbling yourself and reverencing god there's nothing wrong with that if you're capable of doing it i think it it helps to humble your body it helps to humble your flesh when you actually get in a physical position like that but the Bible also says that kneeling and raising your hands is also a sign of reverence to God. Kind of like how David was. It's just, it's just a picture. But it's that attitude of your heart. That's what matters. And when we bow our head and close our eyes, it is, a, it is to show our submission and humility to God and remove any distraction from our prayer. That's why we ask to bow our head. That's why we bow our head and close our eyes. It's because we're... We're acknowledging, God, we're humbling myself before you. That's why we do it. No man is greater than his prayer life. Leonard Ravenhill said that. A lot of times in life, the greatness of men is by what they do in life, isn't it? That's what we remember men by, is the things that they've done or that they didn't do. But I think in God's eyes, the true greatness of a man is his prayer life. When he yields himself to God and lets God use him. That's why it's so important to have a prayer life. And lastly, this morning, prayer intercedes on behalf of others. Go back again to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. We're nearly finished this morning. 
First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul again writes, he says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, both the ones we like and both the ones we don't like. That's where that whole all come into place. I mean, look, he's, he's actually even talking about for kings and for all that are in authority. Why in the world would I want to pray for the Tishik? Or whoever else that, maybe, maybe they have a different opinion on something that I don't like. Why would I want to pray for them? Why would I want to pray for my TD? Why would I want to pray for uh, you know, the local council people? Why, why would I want to pray for people like that? Because we're supposed to. We're supposed to. And you want to know why we're supposed to? It says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And look, he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. He's saying this in prison, I think. Yes, I think, yeah, he's in prison at this time. He's saying this from prison. He got thrown in to prison by the local authority. Yeah, he's saying, pray for them. Pray for the authority. Even if you don't agree, even if they're, even they are, if they are ungodly in all that they do, pray for them, pray for their salvation. Pray that God would use them. As I, as I mentioned last, last Sunday, you know, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he turneth it, whithersoever way he will. Pray. Sometimes the reason why we see things don't go well for a godly way is because we're not praying for it. We're not praying for our leaders. And to think, you know, we're supposed to pray for them whether or not they see to our side or not. Paul was beheaded by Nero. He was a Roman emperor at the time. He ordered Paul to be executed. And yet I bet you Paul was still praying for Nero. His enemy. The one who would kill him. We're supposed to pray for those who are over us. And not just those who are over us, but for all men. He says, for who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. That's what we should pray for these men and women. That God would somehow work in their life, that they would come and get into the knowledge of salvation and that they would get saved. That's how we should be praying. You know, your prayers can intercede on the behalf of others. It is so important to pray for each other as a church family. You know, what I love about prayer is that there is no distance. There's no distance that limits the effects of prayer for someone. You know, most of us probably in here have loved ones that aren't in Ireland. They're throughout this world. Probably every single one of us might have some, some family like that. Aren't you thankful that the prayer of God isn't just confound to Ireland. Is that just local? That we can pray for people all over the world and that God hears it and he works in their lives and we're nowhere near them. So even if you cannot be there physically in that situation, you can be there in prayer. You can be there in prayer and praying for them. That's why we need to keep Pastor Les and his family in prayer. 
You know, a lot can happen on the roads as they travel and just life in general. A lot can happen. You know, most of us near only one car wreck from devastation, from tragedy. That's why we need to keep each other in prayer, to pray for one another. Pray and ask God to keep pastor and his family safe. Pray for providence for their needs and for their health because they need you to pray for them. They need you to pray for them. I don't know what I can do. Pray. Pray for them. You know, we need to also pray for our missionaries around the world and for churches here in Ireland. Colossians 4, verses 2 and 3 says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, withal praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in in bonds. So here he's saying, look, pray that I'll have opportunities to be able to witness. Pray that I'll have opportunities to to, to be a light, to, to be able to, to speak salvation to people. That, that doors would open up. You know, as I said, we're only got just a few more weeks with you. You know, I, I hope that you pray for us as we're starting a church over in Ennis. We need it. There's a lot of, I've never done this before, so to speak, from, this, from, the, from a foundation. I need wisdom. I need leadership from the Holy Spirit. I need him to direct my steps. You know, pray that God opens doors to be able to meet people, to be able to witness to them. People get saved. We need you to pray for us as we pray for you here, that God would open up doors here. We'll see some people get saved here. We need you to pray for us as much as we, need, as we pray for you. Now, there's something about asking God to intercede on behalf of others, someone else that is special. And I think it's due because we focus, the, the take the, the focus of our prayer off ourselves and our needs and our wants, and instead we put it upon someone else. The illustration that I want to show real quick is Peter. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 12, and we'll be finish this morning with this portion of scripture. Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 17. Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 17. Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. So he has John, the Apostle John, who, who wrote the, the Gospel of John and, and Revelation. So his brother he kills. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread, so it was during the time of Passover. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four Quartonians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So there, so Peter is now, he's in four Quartonians of soldiers, meaning there's like four different sections guarded by soldiers. And they're watching over him and they're making sure that he is in jail. He is kept in place. Um, but it says in verse number five, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, 
The same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was sleeping between two soldiers. Think about that. He didn't have a bed. He was sitting and he was a soldier next to him, a soldier next to him. And here he was, probably just had his head bowed over, just sleeping. Not the most comfortable places of sleeping. So this is where he's at. So he's, he's sleeping between soldiers, two soldiers. He's bound with two chains. So he's, he's chained up. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. So there's also keepers involved. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, rise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. So here he is. Two soldiers are there. He's sitting here. All of a sudden, an angel appears and kind of, you know, hits him on the side and says, hey, wake up, wake up, it's time to go, you know. And so the chains fall off of Peter. And uh, the angel said unto him, gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. So hurry up, get your, get your clothes on, get your sandals on. And so he did. And he saith unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. So, you know, put it, put it over your head, you know, basically, and come after me. And uh, it says, he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel. But he thought he saw a vision. So Peter is thinking he's dreaming. He's thinking this is all just a dream. Remember, you probably have some dreams like that. You know, you're dreaming. It's just kind of a wild dream. And you think and you expect to wake up. Well, here, Peter thinks this is just a dream that it's not actually happening. And so he's, he's doing, he's following the angel. He's, he's doing exactly what the angel said. It says that when they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord had sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. So he's, he's now, the angel's gone. He's standing in the street. He's free, and he finally realizes this isn't a dream. This really happened. And he's probably in shock himself, thinking, I'm not in prison. Wow. And so, you know, Herod, he was, he was going to die that next morning. Herod was planning on killing Peter the next morning. And so he realized that, that God took him out of Peter's hand. And so here he's in the street. He's wondering, okay, okay, now, now what do I do? <laughs> what do I do next? He says, and when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, uh, whose surname was Mark. So the gospel writer of Mark. So he went to his mother's house um, where many were gathered together praying. So they, they were praying together in, in her house for Peter. It says, and Peter knocked at the door. Of the gate, and, the dam- and a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Okay, listen, they're praying for Peter. Peter's in jail, as far as they know. And so they're praying that God will deliver Peter out of jail. And all of a sudden, someone's knocking on their date, knocking on the gate, you know, knocking on their. It's late at night. And so the damsel comes in and basically says, who is it? And Peter says, it's Peter. She didn't open the door. She was wondering, this can't be. Peter's in jail. 
How can it be Peter? Sounds like Peter. How can this be Peter? And um, in verse number, let's see here, where was I? Um, in verse number uh, 15. So she, she ran in and she told everyone that Peter was outside the gate. Verse 15, it says, and they said unto her, thou art mad. You're crazy. That can't be. Peter's in jail. We're praying for Peter right now. He's in jail. He can't be out at the gate. It's not possible. And so they said that she's crazy, basically. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. No, it's Peter. I know his voice. I heard Peter. It's his voice. It's got to be Peter. So look what they say. Then they then said they, oh, it's his angel. Maybe he's dead. Maybe it can't be Peter. He's in jail. Maybe it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So Peter's like, hello, anybody in there? I want to come in. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And uh, when, they, when he kept on knocking and they realized it well, it was him, they opened the door and they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, he declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James. James is not, not is the other apostle James, who is the, the pastor of the church here in Jerusalem, and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. And so he left and he went elsewhere. But here we see intercessory prayer. That God answered while they were still praying. And so much that they were shocked that God actually answered while they were praying. And God delivered Peter because they were praying. I truly believe that because they were, they were praying for Peter to be rescued out of, out of jail and that they were gathered together pleading on his behalf God answered their prayer. God answered their prayer. God loves to intercede on behalf of others. That's why it's so important that we pray for one another. Pray for others and their needs and their situations. Uh, this time I'm going to go ahead and have um, Ellen come on up. and I want to do the conclusion a little bit like I did last, last week. As she plays softly, I just I would like... Heads to be bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to spend some time with the Lord. Spend some time with the Lord just, just in prayer. I just want to speak to your heart this morning. Without any distractions, without anything going on. And, and as she plays, I just want you to think about the words. We sang the song earlier this, evening, or this morning. We sang the song already. Think about the words. Think about what they mean. Think about the burdens that we have that we can cast to God. Maybe you're going through some times right now where you just need to cast them to God. Give it to Him. Maybe take that time right now as we conclude our service. You know, our prayer life should be something that we're never satisfied with. We should always strive to be better at prayer. If you're having a hard time making time for prayer, don't stop trying. Keep trying to spend that time alone with the Lord. It is more important for your soul than anything else. You need that time with Him. For a Christian, prayer is their vital breath. It should show what's within you and that we are spiritually alive.
I ask you, how's your breathing been this week? Did you spend time with God at all this week? Or have you just kind of been living life and just kind of forgot, didn't make that time? You know what? Tomorrow starts another new week and new chances to get back into prayer and spending time with God. I'm thankful that prayer removes our burdens. When you give your burdens to God, don't go and pick them back up again and carry them with you. Leave them at the feet of Jesus and let Him carry and take those burdens because He can. He can take them. He's strong enough. His shoulders are big enough. No matter what your complaint is, no matter what you're going through, He can take it. He wants to take it. So we need to give it to Him. We need to give it to Him. Give Him your burdens. Give Him your cares. Give Him your fears. You know what? Maybe you're going through a time and you're just upset. He can handle that too. He can handle you asking why. He can handle you asking and not understanding why you're going through a situation. Give that to Him. It's okay. You know, prayer should humble us. Remember who we're praying to. He is your creator. He is holy. He is all-powerful. And He is your Savior. Prayer intercedes on behalf of others. There's no distance that can stop our prayer. Please keep Pastor Les and his family in prayer as they prepare to return to Ireland. So much stuff on their heart right now, especially with Jenny. Pray for them. Pray that God will meet their needs. Give them safety as they come back. That her mother will be able to get in the nursing home this week. Pray for them. Pray for one another. Come on out on Wednesday night. Share your burdens with one another and pray for each other. That's why we have the midweek prayer service. To pray for each other. To be able to, to, to lift each other up before the throne and give our needs and our cares to God as 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 family, as brethren. And God will bless. Christian, I ask you to make prayer this week. And if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, you've never been born again, this whole thing about prayer is new to you. You want to know more about being saved, more about salvation, please talk to me after the service. I'd love to show you through the Word of God how you can be born again. How you can know that your sin is forgiven, that heaven is a home, that you can have eternal life. And that when you do pray, you can give your burdens to God and He can take them away. And if you want to keep on praying after we close the service, please do so. listening to today's message on the Gospel Baptist Church podcast. To view this and similar messages as a video or for more information about Gospel Baptist Church, head over to lucanchurch.com. 
That's lukeandchurch.com. Thank you again, and God bless.